listening to Dear Reader, a book talk show featuring chatty librarians bringing you reading recommendations and a whole lot of book loving. I'm Justine Hanna, here with my fellow librarian and bibliophile Natalie Mason, and we're coming to you from Melbourne Library Service. Good morning to you, Ms Justine. (laughs) (laughs) And to you, Ms Natalie. I was trying to do oldie English to keep Mm. in theme with our theme. Mm. I failed. I think you did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Today we'll be talking about Jane Austen. Is that how you say her name? I'm just trying for the ye olde <laughs> vibe. All right, I'll stop laughing I at you I failed twice. Yes. Well, Still in the introduction. There's plenty more to go. <laughs> um, Jane Austen's one of our favourites. Um, we're talking today about books that resemble the writing of Jane Austen or um, uh, delve into the same themes that she explored. Um, sadly, it's been 200 years. It's an anniversary this month um, since uh, Austen died in 1817. That Very was sad. Just before you and I were born. Oh yeah, no, I was alive then too. Mm. <laughs> and to think her books written before 1817 and written at that time was so progressive when mm. it came to the roles she imagined for women and the sort of heroes that she cast for us. Considering that the books were such a snapshot of the social history of the time and all the family themes. Mm, Absolutely. And I think that's why they've remained so popular today. I mean, like you said, the the women are quite progressive in the way that they are depicted, but actually if we look at the restrictions upon their lives at the time, it is, is, yeah, 200 years ago, of course, there's restrictions. But, uh, yeah, the way that Jane Austen wrote women, the way that she wrote their interactions with the societies that they were in and with other, you know, people, men, you know, other women, um, the fact that they were servants, all these sorts of things come into play but um, it still fascinates us and and I think that's a lot to do with the way she wrote her characters and how strong those women actually were for the time. She gave them choice at a time when they didn't have choice so essentially her books are fantasy. Well (laughs) a little bit. Look I, I don't know if she gave them choice but what she to me what she did was she revealed the choices that they had within the limitations that you know of the the society that they were in and and gave them free reign um, within those choices they may not have been choices that you and I perhaps would have now I hope anyway but uh, within those limited choices to marry or not to marry <laughs> essentially um, but within those limited choices they ex- she explored she explored through her characters the other possibilities that existed, which, yes, were limited, but the very fact that there were other possibilities that these characters could actually see them, think about them, talk about them is, I think, what is so interesting. She also gave them the choice of who to marry, which I think at the time was not a choice. That's Yeah, I think you're right there, yeah. And Lizzie said, dear cousin, I'm not going to marry you, mm. when maybe it was okay to marry a cousin. <laughs> Shall we? Is it ever? I'm not sure. But was it? But hey, one moment, please. <laughs> Before we get started down this rabbit hole, we want to remind our listeners that we'd love to hear what Jane Austen books you love. So do please tweet us at Library with the hashtag Dear Reader, and you can download Dear Reader episodes at SoundCloud or iTunes by searching for Melbourne Library Service and subscribing. And all the books we mention on the show today will be listed in our show notes. We will pop them on our Goodreads page, and you can find that on our website at www.melbourne.com libraryservice.com.au on the read page. All right, without further adieu, although that's adieu means goodbye. So without further goodbye, (laughs) I'm really bad at this old English, aren't I? Not so good at the current one either. Um, Hey, Justine, 
tell us about your Jane Austen read-alike. I would love to. Thanks, Natalie. My first pick for a Jane Austen read-alike is a bit of a giveaway in the title. It's called Dear Mr Knightley and it's by Catherine Ray. So here's a bit of the plot. Samantha Moore, the main character... She's survived years of neglect and abuse in the foster care system by hiding behind her favourite characters in literature, even to the extent of adopting their words and personas when she's in a stressful or difficult situation. Her fictional friends give her an identity, albeit a borrowed one. But most importantly, they protect her from revealing her true self and encountering more pain through that vulnerability. This has led to Sam appearing quite distant to others and to her struggling to make friends uh, and keep jobs. After college, Sam receives an extraordinary opportunity brought about by her advocate, Father John, who's in charge of the group house Sam lives in called Grace House, which has been a bit of a refuge for her and other foster kids. She's offered a full scholarship to earn her graduate degree at the prestigious Medill School of Journalism by the anonymous Mr Knightley. The sole condition is that Sam must write to Mr Knightley regularly to keep him apprised of her progress. And then, of course, Sam's true identity begins to reveal itself through her letters and her heart also begins to soften to those around her. A damaged teenager and fellow inhabitant of Grace House, her classmates at Medill and, most powerfully, successful crime novelist Alex Powell. Just as Sam finally begins to trust, she learns that Alex has secrets of his own, secrets that, for better or for worse, make it impossible for Sam to hide behind either her characters or her letters. This was a really nice, easy read with an obvious twist and an obvious ending, but I liked it anyway. It was comforting like Jane Austen is comforting. The main reason why I liked it is that Samantha is a really clearly drawn character and instantly understandable to the reader. She's scared of being vulnerable and of sharing too much of herself because of her background and the events that have happened to her. And this is, I think, something a lot of lovers of Jane Austen will recognise from Jane's characters. A number of the background characters are very good also, particularly the uh, young teenager that Samantha befriends. And their side stories really help to give this book more depth than it otherwise may have done. The prose style includes letters, which is nice, um, and the story is very much Daddy Longlegs. If you haven't seen that movie, you need to go see that movie and you'll understand what I mean. Um, But there's a lot of Jane Austen references, a lot of literary references in general, which keeps it fun. It was light. It was enjoyable. I'd recommend it as age-appropriate for about 16 years and up. So that's Dear Mr Knightley by Catherine Ray. No. Yeah, it was actually a really nice light read, um, but with, just with enough to depth to keep you interested, and um, I liked it, yeah. So what about you, Natalie? What is your first pick for a Jane Austen reader like? I'm going to squeeze two in one. Oh, you are greedy. <laughs> I am, uh, what am I? I am agile. You are, okay. <laughs> Be agile. Like a wonder twin activating <laughs> right before your eyes. Um, I'm going to talk about two books by the same author. I'm talking about Elizabeth Strout. What a delight. Mm. And I want to talk about the books My Name is Lucy Barton and her newest one, Anything is Possible. Uh, Elizabeth Strout is a master writer of the domestic. She writes about home and place and belonging and family. And those themes come out so strongly in Austen books that uh, if those are the sorts of things you like to read about, then you will find yourself at home with Elizabeth Strout. Um, These two books that I want to talk about were written in tandem. One is a novel and one is a short story collection and they both draw on the same characters that live in a small town um, in the United States. And both books reverberate with themes of love and loss and hope and redemption and that some people, quite frankly, never change. Mm. Bit of that too. Mm -hmm. Always interesting to read about. 
In My Name is Lucy Barton, the novel of the two, Lucy, the main character, is recovering in hospital and her mother, who she's not spoken to in in years, comes to visit her. So it's a bit of an estrangement coming back together. The book itself is one long conversation in, uh, in the hospital room between Lucy and her mother about Lucy's childhood and uh, different remembrances of the same occurrences between the two of them um, and lots of gossip. This is sort of how the ice wall between them melts is that they share gossip about the people that still live in the small town where they have sort of both escaped from. It's a really brilliant close-up of a mother-daughter relationship. Real amazing examination. The hidden resentments that we have amongst ourselves, between ourselves and family members and that also unconditional love that exists between ourselves and family members and the way you can treat uh, people that you're very closely related to. You would not treat your friends in the same way. Mm-hmm. But also it's about so much more than that. Again, sort of hope and examination of behaviours and whatnot. Um, the second book, Anything is Possible, is a collection of short stories told from the perspectives of the people in the small town that are gossiped about in My Name is Lucy Barton. So it almost gives those characters the opportunity to explain themselves or talk about how they were raised and why they've uh, behaved in certain ways. So you get the perspective of Lucy and her mum looking back and gossiping and then you get the perspective of those people in that town sometimes talking about Lucy um, as she's some famous novelist in New York now and she's escaped the small town and they have very different feelings towards her as someone who has left and become quite successful and some of them think she's a snob because of that and some of them are so uh, sort of... Um, admire that so much and aspire to do that themselves. So you get this really amazing kind of uh, bird's eye view of everybody. And I think um, Austin does that so well too. She really does put you in the middle of high society and show you all of the different layers and all of the different people involved. And you get a kind of 360 view of what's going on around you. I loved both of these books so much. Elizabeth Strout is a remarkable writer. I should mention that she's written Olive Kitteridge, um, which I haven't read but now I'm extremely keen to. And then I'm going to watch the TV show with Frances McDormand in it. She's Mm. from the movie Fargo. And I think what's so brilliant about Austen books is that they come to life on the screen so well. They're so adaptable to the visual. Um, And now that um, I know there's an Elizabeth Strout book that has an accompanying TV show, I shall approach it like Jane Austen, read the book and watch the TV show. I wonder if Colin Firth is in it. Oh, gosh, wouldn't that be a dream? (laughs) He's in every Austen adaptation. He needs to be to make it good. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that the rule? I don't know. Maybe Jane Austen's writing stands up. No, No. it's Colin Firth's (laughs) acting. Let's just get that clear. Let's give the writing some credit, I suppose. (laughs) Let's talk about Jane for a bit. Let's talk about Jane for a bit. Have you read all of the books? I mean, she only wrote six, isn't it, I think? Yeah, six were published. um, Oh, wait, two of them were published Posthumously. Mm. Oh, that's good. Old English accent. It's very good. I like that one. And one, I think, was unfinished at the time of her death. Yes. Yeah. But uh, have you read? What have you read? I've read Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility and Emma. Lovely. Yeah. Three good ones. Three out of six. That's half. I've read half. That's good. Half of the oeuvre. Ah. Is that is that how you say that word? That's a French word. It is French. Yeah, All right. I can't do French uh, <laughs> I've read Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility, Emma and Persuasion, but uh, have not managed to get to Northanger Abbey or Mansfield Park. But uh, they're certainly on the list. There's a fire in one of them. Okay. That's 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 your spoiler. That is. It's a bit of a spoiler, Natalie. It is, isn't it? Honestly. I don't think it's like 
on the last page and everyone dies. <laughs> I just am pretty sure there's a fire in That'd one of That'd be them. a twist. I don't think Jane Austen was into thrillers. You know what she was into? What? Romantic comedies. She invented them. She probably came close to inventing them. Absolutely invented them. <laughs> girl meets boy. Girl hates boy. Boy persuades girl to like him. Then they marry. You've given away every plot point. That's every rom-com ever <laughs> written. In, you it's know. so true. Where it's... do you think Nora Ephron got Sleepless oh. in Seattle from? Come on, let's dial it back. Harper, all of them. <laughs> That's how it works. It it's, is. It's a trope. Yeah. Yeah. Why yeah. not? No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Why not? Why not? She invented, <laughs> I'm giving Jane Austen full credit, invented the rom-com. <laughs> do you have a particular favourite, Jane Austen? Probably Pride and Prejudice. I'm so boring. I agree. Pride and Prejudice. I love yeah. it. Why do we love it so much? Um, Because Lizzie Bennet is a hero. She, you know, she, she orchestrates stuff. She decides that she doesn't like someone. She refuses to marry someone that her family forces her to. She still loves her mother, even though that has got to be the most annoying <laughs> character ever committed to paper. And she has a really amazing relationship with her dad that's full of humour and wit and understanding, and he's incredibly supportive of her. Mm. I think I, I really like her relationship with her family, like siblings as well as parents. It's an interesting relationship with her father particularly because, yes, he is incredibly supportive um, and, and loving of her, but um, I like that she recognises that his open, uh, pretty much open contempt for his own wife is perhaps not the best way to raise your children in that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and he could have done more to maybe temper Mrs. Bennett. Anyway, I, I just thought it was really good. Lizzie is such a, she's a very self-aware person most of the time. Obviously, there yeah. are some blind spots and that's where the fun comes in. Yeah. Um, but she's feisty and intelligent and charismatic and not afraid to speak her mind and not afraid to hold to her guns. And I think that that is actually... What is so interesting about her in an age where women often just did what they were told, which, to be honest, is still today in a lot of ways, it is really refreshing to have a character that just knows her own mind, does her own thing, and, um, yeah, I, I really love Lizzie. I love I love all of I love the whole you know all of the characters and there's some really great side characters too but yeah Lizzie's just amazing. Can we talk briefly about the TV shows and the movies? I think it's a must. You go first. Well, obviously the BBC does it better than anybody else. Correct. And Colin Firth is in it, so yay. <laughs> what is it about that oh, guy? Oh, look, he just nailed the part. He is Mr. Dust. It's like Hercule Poirot can only be played by David Suchet. You know, I know it's Agatha Christie, it's totally separate, but sometimes there's an actor out there that just completely and utterly embodies a role and and you just can't imagine anybody else doing it. And anybody else who tries more often than not just doesn't do it as well and that's a shame and good on them for trying, but you can't tell me that you preferred the movie with a certain English lady in the main role over the BBC adaptation. Wait, which one? The, the, Kira, the Kira Knightley yeah. one? Who was Mr Darcy? I don't know, some very long-faced man. He, he was probably a very good actor, but ugh. <laughs> not attractive. And Mr. Darcy needs to be attractive. He wasn't Colin Firth. He was not Colin Firth. Hmm. I can't remember. Anyway, and there's also Emma with um, Gwyneth Paltrow. I didn't mind oh, that yeah. movie. I still prefer the BBC. I actually do own all the BBC productions <laughs> on DVD. Um, even for the books that I haven't read, I own the, the BBC adaptations. But anyway, um, yes, I didn't mind that particular movie. But I much prefer, uh, as an Emma sort of um, movie, I much prefer Clueless. I think that movie, A, brought it 
you know, bang up to date, at least in the 90s anyway, um, but also just was so true to the book and to the feel and just did such an amazing job. Clueless is one of my all-time favourite movies, definitely as an adaptation anyway of a Jane Austen work. I think it was dated the minute it was released, but that I think is what is part of its charm now. Yes. Oh, yes, isn't it? It's how incredibly just it's so visual it's so stylish it's so absurd and over the top Mm. and Alicia Silverstone's fantastic she is absolutely fantastic is there any other sort of adaptations that you the Lizzie Bennet diaries yes they're a lot of fun they're a lot of fun aren't they very different as well yeah so they're a YouTube series where um, a young woman has reimagined herself as Lizzie Bennet in the future uh, or in the in the present actually um, and she is vlogging her story as her sisters come and go and as hot guys on the basketball team at school come and go and as her mum annoyingly knocks on the door and as her dad gives her counsel and support. Um, But she's essentially complaining about everything that's going on in her life, telling the Pride and Prejudice story. In what a very love, modern way. Very modern way. I love that it's it's been translated, but it's also across multiple formats. It's not just the vlog. I think there is a blog as well. Um, there have been books put out. Anyway, it, I just love the multiple formats um, way of, of presenting a Jane Austen story yeah. and the fact that these issues are still relevant and are yeah. things that women talk about and yeah anyway I just I love I love the Lizzie Bennet diaries they're coming of age stories really yeah, and and first love and falling in love and and knowing learning yourself learning you know your blind spots and things like that yeah yeah it's really good another movie that I love which isn't an adaptation but it's a, a story of Jane Austen is Becoming Jane I really, really, really like that movie. And, in fact, I did read another book called First Impressions. Um, I can't remember the author, apologies, but uh, it, that was a fabulous book which um, went back in time. Uh, so it was modern-day bookseller with a mystery on her hands, loves Jane Austen, and then a couple of guys that are very similar to Wickham and Darcy. And then <laughs> um, and then back in time, you know, uh, to Jane Austen and to her story and um it's a completely fictional story, but absolutely lovely. And uh, just, I, I really quite like that. And then it made me think of that movie Becoming Jane, uh, which I really, totally different again, but I really liked these sorts of, you know, this might have been why, how we, you know, how Jane was inspired to write Pride and Prejudice is because of an episode in her own life or something like that. I just really like that. Yeah. What about the Austen Project where contemporary writers are rewriting Austen books? Mm. Like my one of my favourite books of last year that mm. you didn't like. It's terrible. Yeah, right. Interesting you should say that because you're <laughs> wrong. Um, it, the book I'm talking about is Eligible by Curtis Sittenfeld. It was terrible. It's one, mm, one of many <laughs> books uh, that are being rewritten and given a modern twist on a uh, classic tale. Look, I think it's a lovely idea, The Austin Project, but I also think, why bother? I mean, if it's a, something you want to do and it comes up naturally and as an author you feel doing that, but but to actually sort of go out there and, and source authors to write like Jane Austen and basically tell the same story, at least tell me a different story. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, mm, eh. It's a publisher's project. Well, that's that's why it's not good. <laughs> no. I want to it needs sing, to be the author's project. Yeah, I want to sing the song by Prince called Controversy, but nobody <laughs> wants to hear me sing it. I just think that when you come up with some an idea like this, yeah, it didn't do it for me and I certainly did not like Eligible. Loved it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. Loved it. Shall we talk about our next reader like? I dare you to follow it with another <laughs> review. Dare you. <laughs> 
And in this case, darers don't go first. You actually have to go first. (laughs) Take it away. Well, my second suggestion for a Jane Austen read-alike is called Match Me If You Can by Elizabeth Phillips. What a pun. It's such a great title, isn't it? it? It's part of the Chicago Stars series. It's number six, although I actually read this book before any of the others, and uh, it does work as a standalone but I can guarantee you'll want to start reading the rest of the series and start discovering the other stories before you're even finished with this one. Yeah, it's a brilliant series. Heath Champion is an American football agent often referred to as a shark. Annabelle Granger is the girl least likely to succeed, at least that's what she thinks. Annabelle's endured dead-end jobs and a broken engagement, even her hair is a mess, but that's going to change now that she's taken over her late grandmother's matchmaking business. All Annabelle has to do is land the Windy City's hottest bachelor as her client and she'll be the most sought-after matchmaker in town. But why does the wealthy, driven and gorgeous sports agent Heath Champion need a matchmaker, especially a redhead screw-up like Annabelle? True, she's entertaining and she does have a certain quirky appeal, but Heath is searching for the ultimate symbol of success, the perfect wife, and to make an extraordinary match, he needs an extraordinary matchmaker. Soon, everyone in Chicago has a stake in the outcome and a very big question. When the determined matchmaker promised she'd do anything to keep her star client happy, did she really mean anything? If Annabelle isn't careful, she just might find herself going heart to heart with the toughest negotiator in town. I really, really, really enjoyed this book. I've reread it a number of times. It's just such a fun romp of a romance. Annabelle and Heath's relationship actually develops relatively slowly for a romance. So throughout the story, um, they are they have a bit of tension. Falling in love with your client shouldn't be, be a thing to begin with, so they both ignore their feelings, but that just sends the tension skyrocketing and it's a really, really great plot point. This book made me laugh out loud. There is one particular... Oh, there's one particular paragraph that you'll get to and you just won't be able to stop snorting with laughter. It was seriously, seriously funny. I'm not going to tell you about it, though. Um, It was too funny. Um, It's really, it is lighthearted, but the plot had, again, enough oomph to keep it from being pure fluff. Annabelle is a really feisty main character who won't accept anything less than what she deserves from a Heath, which reminded me a lot of Elizabeth Bennet. And then there's a side plot of Portia, Annabelle's competing matchmaker, and Bodie, Heath's go-to guy, which is a really wonderfully controlled contrasting, sweet and compelling story. Given it's a matchmaking story, you can liken this to Emma, of course, but the characters also read like so many other Jane Austen characters with really wonderful, strong, feisty women and gorgeous, handsome, arrogant men. It's a lot of fun and I recommend it to any Austen lovers out there. That's Match Me If You Can by Elizabeth Phillips. A delight. An absolute delight, yes. (laughs) Now you, Natalie, what is your second Austen reader like? Hmm... I read Bridget Jones's Diary by Helen Fielding <laughs> for the first time oh, ever. Oh, dear. Hmm. Hmm. That's my review. <laughs> That's it. Wrap it up. Um, okay, so Bridget is a 30-something single woman who all her friends are getting married. She has a crush on her boss, which is ridiculous and, and uh, unrequited. She's scared she'll never get married. And there's a bit of pressure from her family as well. So she's looking for the great love of her life in her own special way. She is clumsy and awkward and says very silly things at inopportune moments. So I could be describing myself. (laughs) So she should be an utterly relatable woman. We're supposed to um, see ourselves in her um, 
understand the awkwardness sometimes of social situations, putting your foot right in your mouth, behaving really stupidly in front of people that you have massive crushes on, um, and trying to navigate your way through romance. It can be quite challenging, quite complicated. Um, but I really didn't see her as a hero. She's supposed to be the hero at the centre of this book, um, and I just didn't see her that way. I sort of saw her as an anti-hero. Um and if she's supposed to be a Lizzie Bennett, Lizzie was headstrong and unforgiving and self-possessed, entirely unself-aware, but very certain of how she felt and what she thought and would just mouth off about it. I guess that's a similarity. Um, Bridget seems to mouth off a little bit as well. <laughs> but um, I just found it, um, I found that, you know, it's written as a diary for starters, which is, you know, one of the less fun formats, in my opinion, to read. Every day starts with uh, some data, which you know appeals to librarians really. But the data is how many calories um, she's eaten that day, the measurement of her thighs, how many cigarettes she's had, how many alcoholic beverages she's had. I just find that stuff so unimportant. It's really not great data. There's got to be other data sets you could be collecting on a day-to-day basis that might be interesting for a reader. I just found that stuff really insipid. And there's a touch of it, and I don't know if it's just that it's been a long time since it's been out, but I felt a little like I was fat shaming. Not into that, Bridget. Not into that at all. Her focus is on how she looks and her appeal to other people, and that's actually unimportant in the scheme of things. But, you know, I'm reading fiction and I'm clearly reading far too much into it. Um, I found myself wanting to be Bridget's conscience at some times and give her some life advice. Again, not what you should be doing when reading fiction, but I just found myself so wanting to fix things or get in amongst it and just make it less shuddery. But um, it's as shuddery as it wants to be. Uh, and, and that was my review of Bridget Jones's Diary by Helen Fielding. It's totally up the Austin alley, but not the best. Mm, I think uh, I read that book ages ago. Like you said, it's been out for quite some time. 20 years, I yeah, think. Yeah, and, and I think of it, it's very of its time as well. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I remember reading it and, and it, it, the movie is better. And also the movie has Colin Firth. We did not mention Bridget Jones's Diary in the movie chat we just had, but we should have, because it's better than the book, in well, my opinion. And I, there the are whole... some movies that are better than books. Oh, I disagree with that because the book <laughs> is really, and the film too, but um, Colin Firth is the quintessential Darcy. Yeah. I think that's why we have banging on about him yes, like, so much. obsessively. But also the character oh. of um, Bridget Jones. Yeah, help she... me like her. <laughs> Do it. She grows, don't you think? Like Even with that data that you're talking about, and yes, I agree, diary entries are just not a format I really enjoy reading that much. Um, but from the beginning, even that, that those little bits of data to the end, she stops caring so much about her look. She realises and recognises that actually, um, and, and Mr. Darcy helps her, or Mr. Darcy Colin first character helps her. Mark. <laughs> yes, Mark helps her to, because he says, I, I love you just the way you are. And I think you're perfect just the way you are, whatever he says. And so she sort of comes to realise that it's not about all the external stuff. And, and yet she's, she, she sort of travels a little bit from being that shallower character to having a bit more understanding and a bit more depth by the end. Um, I, I agree she's not a Elizabeth Bennet, I don't believe she was supposed to be. I also agree she is a bit of an anti-hero. I didn't like her when I read it the first time, you know, from the beginning. By the end, you're like, finally, you've grown up a bit. But honestly, you're of an age that you should probably have already got this. And again, though, I think that is, I think that is because when it was set and the era, you know, and what was going on in society at the time in the UK, etc. I do think it is of its time. So I don't know if I've helped you liked it.
like her as a character anymore. But <laughs> Not even close. Oh, well. You tried, though, and it was a gallant effort. <laughs> Why, thank you, dear mm. lady. Um, the pleasure is all mine. <laughs> it's the best I could do. <laughs> it was good enough. Um, anyway, I think that there's so much that we could keep on talking about regarding Jane Austen, the different um, translations and adaptations that have been made of her work. Um, and it's such a, an amazing body of work. It's only six full books and, and they're not actually big books either. They're not large novels, but they, they have so much to give and they keep on giving and I love that. Yeah, and they were written within a f- six-year period. Mm. Six novels in six years. Well, they were published, not necessarily written. I think she started writing quite uh, young and she was reading aloud to her family and, mm. you know, was so the family knew about the um, about the work before the world did. Um, but, yes, yeah, I think it, she's just got it, – it's such an amazing um, – Amazing thing to think of now, looking back 200 years, a woman writer, again, not the norm, and uh, and for her to, to still be lauded as much as she is 200 years after her passing, I think is pretty amazing. And don't forget, too, there's an exhibition on at Library at the Dock uh, all about Jane Austen and, and really celebrating um, her work. And it's a really interesting one. There's a lot of different tech involved. So if you have a moment and you're in Docklands or you just want to go to Docklands, because who doesn't, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> head on down to Library at the Dock and check out the gallery there while it's still up. That's the Jane Austen exhibition. But I think we should wrap it up unless you have any final thoughts. <laughs> Those were my final thoughts. I was just thinking about Bridget Jones and it le- rendered me speechless. When does that happen? <laughs> Never, actually. <laughs> All right, then that's our show. You can read our show notes, including a list of the Jane Austen reader likes we discussed today on our Goodreads page, um, which you can find on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and on the read page. We'd also love you to tell us what you've been reading, Jane Austen related or not. Um, tweet us at Melb Library, that's M-E-L-B-L-A-B-R-A-R-Y with the hashtag Dear Reader, or join the conversation on our Goodreads page where our show notes are. Don't forget you can subscribe and download Dear Reader episodes at iTunes by searching for Melbourne Library Service. And if you like what you're hearing on Dear Reader, we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes. It does help others to find out about us and gives us the nice warm fuzzies. The amazing music on our program is by Ben Mason. Check out more of his music at www.benmason.com.au. And until next time, dear reader, thank you ever so for listening.